Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? Welcome to What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where we talk about the board games that we've been playing recently. And on this episode are The Meeple Dungeon of Dice and Men, Mr. Board Games, The Rat Hole, Dice and Dragons, Mozart Games, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please remember to check out the show notes for the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And now, sit back and enjoy. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. This week we have one game to talk about. What game is that, Anna-Marie? That game is Picture Perfect, designed by Anthony Nouveau, illustrations by Maya Rochek, Soren Meeting, and Jula Poshke, and it is published by Arcane Wonders and Korax Games. Yes, Picture Perfect. So we've been fiddling around with this game we played it uh, a couple times now and we are going to be doing a full review of this game on our podcast but Mm -hmm. we thought we would talk about it on here as well because we haven't even we haven't even done all the things with this game yet no there's still all of the things left to do yes some of the things we've done some of the things well let's let's talk uh generally about how this game works and what we've experienced so far so this game is is the first of its kind that I've I think we've both played that yep. I think we've ever seen where you the whole point of this game is to assemble a bunch of characters little standees yep. in a certain arrangement and take a photo of them using your phone yep and that has never been a thing before <laughs> no <laughs> so it's it's as weird as it sounds so in this game you are Basically, a, taking on the role of a photographer, right? At a fancy dinner party or wedding or yeah, whatever it could be. So it's got all these these characters, all these guests. I think there's fourteen of them, something like that. Yeah, and there's uh, including one of the characters is a dog, and one of the character one of the is characters a is a, yeah, a, <laughs> a fern plant. plant. <laughs> um, and what you have to do is you have to arrange these characters into spots around a table and there's a there's basically a, a table and then there's a whole bunch of squares simulating where these people can stand to the left of the table to the right of the table uh to the back row to the front of the table and so forth and how you do this is each character has their own envelope yeah and in those envelopes is going to be three requirement cards and those cards are going to dictate to us how these characters want to be arranged at the 
party or whatever we're doing here. So say there, there's this one guy, he kind of looks like, uh, who did I say this guy looks like? Letterman? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> there's one character that looks so much like oh, I David think it's, Letterman. I think it was definitely um, yeah, um, drawn after which is him. pretty cool. But um, you, you'll you pick up that person's envelope, and inside are going to be three needs for that character. And it's going to say, I, and these are totally random. These yeah. are all thrown in at random. And one of those three could say, I want to stand in the fourth row. And then the other one could say, I want to stand next to the dog. And I also want my face to be hidden. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And those could be the three requirements. So you have to place that character as best you can into that kind of arrangement. Spot. Yeah. yeah. On the board as best you can. You want to kind of place him next to the dog, either with the dog on his left or his right or in front of him. And you also want to play him in the fourth row. Yeah. But you also got to try and plan to hide his face. <laughs> so. <laughs> and the neat thing is hiding his face. It's all, it's all done by how you, the perspective you use when you take the picture. Yes. So Cause, it's neat. Yeah. Yes. It depends on angles and it depends on all sorts of things. Um, so you're going to do this for all 14 characters and you're going to arrange them all over the place. Some players you're going to want to keep on the board. Some you're not because there's a whole bunch yeah. of different scoring things that go on here that being said you're not going to get to see necessarily get to see all of the nope. characters like you start with five so you definitely are going to get to yeah. see five in a two-player game in a two-player game yes, yes. and then there are going to be cards you flip that say okay now take one from the middle or take one blindly from yep. your opponent or you know and then you get to look at those so there are some that you'll never see potentially yeah. in the game i know i there were a couple that I never <laughs> well, we saw. purposefully tried to keep yeah. information from each other, right? So, yeah, you are going to have five characters, and this only lasts six rounds. Yeah. So you're going to have these starting five characters on a two-player game, but then during every round, like she said, you're going to flip over these one of these specialty cards. It's going to tell us what we need to do next, whether or not we need to trade some envelopes or throw some envelopes in the middle and shuffle them up and deal mm-hmm. them back out or all these various things. But at the end of the day... You are going to have all your characters arranged as best you can, and then you're going to take a photo, and you're going to try and score it out. And depending on how you angle your photo and who's standing where and next to what is going to di- going to dictate how many points you got. Yeah. And it can be... That's a fun point system. Yeah, it's such a weird, it can be a huge crazy swing. point. <laughs> because if you get all three things right, you get a lot of points. If you get two things right, you get like a couple points. If you get one yeah. thing right, you get a point. And if you get none of them right, you get negative points. So yeah. then it's like, well, am I going to get anything right for this character? I don't know. So I'm, maybe I'll just leave that character out of the if picture. Because him, if you leave him out yeah, of the picture, it's get just nothing. zero yeah. rather than negative. Yeah, and it's it's such a bizarre game. Um, yeah. But there's still more to the game that we haven't explored uh, because there's actually an auction system. Yeah. That, that like, this is just the base our... game, basic game that we've yeah. been explaining. And yeah, this is just yeah the bare bones of the game because this auction system allows you to buy envelopes kind of off each other and out of the middle of the table and, and things as far as we can tell. And you're using like dinner plates and things as your, yeah. currency. your currency. So <laughs> we have to play more but in our first couple experiences here it's been really really interesting yep total hit love it but yes we are going to review this on the meeple dungeon podcast the next episode which i believe is episode 18 Mm -hmm. and yeah it'll be the feature review in that episode and we'll also have a few games to talk about 
that are new to the collection from our Black Friday wheelings and dealings yeah. and the new game <laughs> that we're backing on Kickstarter. So you can catch that in the next Meeple Dungeon podcast episode. Uh, but yeah, we got to run. So we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Bye-bye. Hey there, long time no talk. It's Chad from Of Dice and Men, the podcast where we talk about board games, the people who play them, and the culture surrounding the hobby. I've finally got a chance to get through my backlog of unplayed games, and there's a few great ones I stumbled across recently, so I thought I'd take some time and share my thoughts with you. First off, let's talk about a game I've been dying to play for well over a year, Merchant's Cove. I finally had an in-person game night after a few weeks off, and despite my good friend Ryan having a copy all the way back from when the Kickstarter shipped, we hadn't had a chance to try it out. We played a full four-player game with the base merchants. Merchant's Cove is an asymmetric economic game where each player is a different kind of merchant in the cove, slinging their wares to crowds of adventurers arriving in port each round. Players do their best to produce the most desired goods while allying with the more popular guilds in town, with the merchant who raises the most gold being declared the winner at the end of three rounds. The asymmetry comes into play with how each merchant produces their goods. Each player board is a mini-game onto itself. For example, the base game comes with a marble game, a dice manipulation game, a tile placement game, and a spin-and-move game. The mini-games themselves aren't overly complicated. If each one was its own standalone board game, it'd hardly be enough to keep an elementary school kid busy. But paired with the decisions of the shared town board, the game comes together to make everything interesting. As you proceed throughout the round, you'll come across opportunities to place a randomly drawn meeple onto one of the six incoming boats. Once a boat is full, you can choose where it docks in town, which in turn dictates what kind of goods the population of the boat is interested in purchasing. During the selling phase of each round, players will sell their manufactured goods to these ports, multiplied by any color bonus dictated by the meeple standing on the dock. This mechanic is neat on its own, but really adds to the player boards as each player has a small hand in manipulating what goods will be worth as the round continues. The added twist of trying to meet the market demands as they're revealed adds a nice touch to the simplicity of the individual unique player boards. Merchant's Cove comes with a bunch of expansion content, as any Kickstarter nowadays often does, including three other merchants. The Oracle is a roll-and-write mechanic, while the Dragon Rancher offers a pet-raising experience, and finally, the innkeeper is unique in that they tend to the patrons after they're done shopping, offering food and lodging to those wary travelers. While I'm interested in trying the other merchants, I also don't really feel like I missed out on how they play. Other asymmetric games like Vast or Root offer player boards so complicated that it's near impossible to glean how your opponents are working their individual factions. Merchant's Cove's player boards are simple enough that you'll have a pretty firm grasp of how each player at the table worked their particular mechanics by the end of the game and you may not feel as compelled to try them out. Next, let's talk about Dinosaur World, the legally distinct from Jurassic Park map-building game from Pandasaurus. Pandasaurus, of course, is a well-known dinosaur game publisher, starting with their hit game Dinosaur Island and expanding into several expansions and variations from there, including a two-player dual version, as well as a recently released roll-and-write game. Despite its popularity, I haven't played any of the Dinosaur Island versions yet, there's no particular reason, except maybe a deep psychological aversion to the neon color scheme. Anyway, Dinosaur World caught me at a good time. I hadn't bought a new game in a while, and I've always been a fan of map-building games. Also, the colors are a little less early 90s. I'd figured I'd give it a chance, and I'm glad I did. 
Dinosaur World has each player founding their own living dinosaur park, complete with merchandise stands, roller coasters, science exhibits, and of course, dinosaur pens. The game takes place over five rounds, with players taking actions to collect DNA, grow dinosaurs, purchase buildings to add to their park layout, and upgrade their security in tour tech. At the end of each round, players are tasked with plotting a route through their park to earn revenue based on the excitement they can offer their patrons, while also risking casualties depending on the danger they've exposed the park visitors to. Dinosaur World does a great job of keeping the game interesting throughout the play. Each round has five phases, but two of those phases are simultaneous, so there's not a lot of downtime between player turns as you manage your park. The two shared phases, drafting your workers and selecting buildings, go by quickly and still offer a lot of player interactivity as you watch your neighbor take that dinosaur pen you really wanted. The other two main phases happen entirely within the boundaries of your built park, independent of other players, which allows for some complex planning and execution without bogging the game down too much. In the private action phase, you decide how you want to spend your remaining workers, whether it's through upgrades, processing DNA, or growing dinosaurs. The Jeep phase has players plotting their route from their welcome center or park entrance through the built exhibits, generating excitement which translates directly to revenue between rounds and victory points. The Jeep phase is actually my favorite part of the game, as it adds a unique twist to what would otherwise be a pretty standard drafting map builder. The tech level of your Jeep dictates how many buildings you can visit each round, forcing you to consider which of the buildings you can even reach this turn, and giving more weight to the arrangement of your park. In addition, each location has a boredom rating. The more you go to the same raptor pen, the less excited your visitors will be each round, which in turn ends up generating less revenue for you. This nice thematic touch to the game also throws in another strategic consideration. Furthermore, the game allows you to move your park entrance about halfway through, so you don't have to start at the same spot each tour. Building four and taking advantage of the subtle change can really benefit you in later rounds. I have a few minor cosmetic complaints about the game, most of my cardboard is considerably warped after the first game, the boredom tokens are extremely small and fiddly, and the effect of the cool individually illustrated dinosaur meeples is kind of lost with the way you need to stack them in a row on each tile. But nothing that would really prevent me from recommending Dinosaur World if you like the theme or map building games in general. There's also a few expansions, Kickstarter of course, that add even more dinosaur meeples with their own unique mechanics to add variety. Those are just a few of the games I've got to try in the past few days, and with our annual Rum and Eggnog Day coming up, I'm excited to share even more with you over the next few weeks. You can catch our irregularly scheduled podcast anywhere podcasts are sold. Just look for Of Dice and Men. Have a great week! Hey folks! Ryan here of Bridge City Board Gamers, and I'm one half of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. Check us out on all our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just search up at BC Board Gamers, and also check out our YouTube channel, Bridge City Board Gamers, for some awesome weekly content. Now, I've been playing a trio of, a trilogy maybe, of sorts, um, based off the design work of Flat Out Games design team Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, and Sean Stankwich. And this trilogy of games has all been published by AEG, Alderac Entertainment Group. And the first one I want to talk about is a game from 2019 called Point Salad. Now, Point Salad has come out at many game nights over the past couple of years and really has really developed as a 
a, a go-to game on our family game nights with our six-year-old son. In Point Salad, it's just a simple card drafting game where there is an assortment of these vegetable cards. And I believe there's six different vegetable cards and they each have their own little stack. You kind of shuffle up the stacks and depending on the number of players, you're going to select those few. You're going to take all of the vegetables, shuffle them all together, create three separate piles and then start laying them out. There's always going to be six vegetables available and there's always going to be three point scoring cards available every time. Now on your turn, what you're going to, it's actually really simple. You can either select a point scoring card and it's going to tell you how to score some points. One card might say you have one point for every tomato and two points for every carrot. Or it might be a little bit more complex where you want certain sets of vegetables like a carrot, a lettuce and a cabbage is going to score you eight points. So you want a, a variety of these different point scoring cards and you also want them to combo together because then also on your turn, other than scoring a point card or sorry, claiming a point card, you can actually just draft a couple vegetables. Now, when you draft the vegetables, those point scoring cards are actually going to flip over and fill in the rest of the market, allowing new point scoring opportunities to come above. So you really have to kind of time things like say, oh, I really want that point scoring card. But so I'm going to take these vegetables first. Oh, wait, if I take those vegetable cards, that point scoring opportunity is now going to come down. Now, what you can do in this game is once per turn, let's just say I grabbed a point scoring card and I realize I'm never actually going to be able to score very many points off this. Hey, I can flip it to its vegetable side and add it to my tableau and now it becomes more valuable points maybe comboing with some of my other point scoring cards. Now I just described a, probably a pretty complex series of events and when it, actually in fact like a game of point salad is taking between 10 to 15 minutes depending on some analysis paralysis which is very far and few between in this game. Um, we really, really enjoy this. There's so many different point scoring opportunities and those stacks of the vegetable cards. There's so many of them that you shuffle and you're never going to see the same ones over and over again. Um, really, really solid title. It's a very quick game. It's actually a card game that gets packed into my uh, quiver of all these card games that I can take traveling out and about. It's very easy to teach, very easy to kind of graphs you are sitting down and playing within a matter of minutes so point salad um, another game that we that we've started playing a lot lately is truffle shuffle now same design team of molly robert and sean um, also published by aeg and it came out in 2020 and this was also a card drafting game where it was very reminiscent of Seven Wonders Duel, where the card uh, drafting play, uh, area is a pyramid of, car of overlapping cards, and some are face up and some are face down. And all of these cards have these really whimsical, cute truffles on them, tro chocolate truffles on them, where they all have different values on them, and, and there's different types and there's different colors associated with them. And what you're trying to do is I'll the best way that I can describe it is that you're trying to you're trying to create these poker hands. Um, really, what you're really trying to do is create um, flushes and um, straights and the all and very important straight flush. So you can either have a small one, which is just a four card run, 
of say like two, three, four, five. And yeah, it, it, and the bigger the, the, the straight that you can make and of all the same color, the more points you can actually score. You actually just kind of just turn them over and you show what you have and you claim these cardboard coins that come with the box. Um, and then, yeah, there's a very large display every round. There's 39 cards, I believe, in a round. And you have to do this over three rounds. You're collecting these cards, cashing them in for points as long as you're able to do so. Um, really kind of a neat game. This one did take quite a bit longer um, than, say, like our point salad games because those ones were over in like 10 to 15. This one's taking about that closer to 20, maybe somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes. Um, it was the setup between the rounds of laying down all the cards and trying to decide what card you're going to actually take on your turn because there are actually some some power cards that come into play in these ones too that allow you to um, uh, change the color of a number. You can change the number um, of a color. Um, you can... Well, I'm trying to think there's wild cards that can stand for any color. There's the very elusive. There's the wild card that is the number and a color of your choice. And all the tr while trying to create these, these, these kind of like poker hands of cards to score all these points. Now, um, we really enjoyed this one, but we didn't enjoy it as much as uh, point salad, um, mainly because of the, the, time uh, the time frame and our six-year-old son really wasn't grasping the idea of what he needed to be doing um all the time though my wife and i do like this as a two-player experience um scores were very very tight so um truffle shuffle is, is really really unique um type of dra drafting game i well i guess not unique um it does share that commonality of the type of draft that you saw in seven wonders duel um but yeah, it was, it, was, it was really, really enjoyable. And then the third game in this trilogy that we've been playing is the one that came out this year in 2021. That's referred to as 10. Now, I'm going to give my full thoughts on 10 on this week's episode of Cardboard Conjecture. So I'm just going to leave it at that other than, man, we are really enjoying 10. Um, out of the three games, I would rank 10 as probably our favorite um, of them, it is an abstract set collecting um, type of game with a little bit of auction mechanic sprinkled in in there. So uh, if you want to hear how 10 plays and all of my thoughts about it, um, tune into this week's Cardboard Conjecture on Saturday when you'll be able to hear all of those lovely, lovely thoughts. And that's what we've been playing a lot of lately on Family Game Nights is the trilogy of these flat out games molly robert and sean all the and all published by aeg point salad truffle shuffle and 10 okay folks that's what's happening this wednesday and i will you can hear from me again next week <laughs>
Man, it is so much expense, so much money. So on, much, so much expensive. So much expensive on the eBay. English is hard. <laughs> English is not my first language. Or is that I is guess. it is it English or is that just Canadian? <laughs> That's just Canadian. Just Canadian. Being Canadian's hard. Want <laughs> yeah. some maple syrup, eh? I mean, we cobra do have some, chicken. Anyway, cobra chicken. Well, we can get some cobra chicken. I'd love some cobra chicken. I don't even know what a cobra chicken is, but hey, why not? It's Canada goose. A Canada goose. <laughs> Canada gooses. Uh, <laughs> they're majestic. Okay, let's be honest. Yeah. The Canada goose is majestic. If you are not having your own pet Canada goose, then you're not living. You're not living a true Canadian life. Yeah. Okay. We focus. Also, we also play. You know, we ride our moose to work and. Uh, we live in an igl- igloo, and I've got a guard I'm, polar bear, so it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Play a game of sticky punchy. Uh, anyways, now again, just getting started. Okay, back to back to what we're doing here. <laughs> drop mix, drop mix, drop mix is a game by Hasbro, as stated before. It is a musical game, a uh, musical game that was done by the folks and uh, who did you know. Uh, Rock band. Rock band. Yeah. I'm doing a drum here. Yeah, I know you can't see it, but I'm doing a drum. Uh, and they, you take little clips from the cards, uh, you put it down and you make music with it. You uh, DJ it up. Waka, 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 a. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's one of my all-star games. I discovered it many, many years ago. Now. And my parents bought it for you for Christmas. Did they buy it for yes. me? Yes. I, I thought, I didn't know if they bought it. I know they bought me some cards. I didn't know if they bought me the game itself. I think it was a group effort because I'm pretty sure it was the first Christmas we were together and it was a group effort to get the game and um, all the decks and stuff for it. So I don't know necessarily if my parents bought you the game, but it was definitely, there was a purchasing of the game for you and then a collaboration of getting all the decks, which were missing too. Yes, I ended Which, up I ended up buying a bunch of them. I still haven't got those two decks though. Yeah, because we can't get them anymore. They were Amazon exclusives. So if you didn't get them right when they were released, then out of luck you are. But we really enjoy it. Um, we have lots of fun playing it. It is a good little party game, a little good little, you know, we just want something fun. There's three modes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the verses puzzle and freestyle, um, which we've played all, all of them. We stick to the verses. That's what we've done for our channel. Uh, well, like the, the puzzle one is a solo play. It, play yeah. Solo I mean, you fine. could do it with another person, but it's just not the same. Like it's better off as a puzzle, like puzzle as a single mm, player. Yeah. I don't know. But I remember getting it just because I remember watching like a YouTube video, like the trip for it or whatever. And I remember showing it to you and it was all this really exciting, like dropping tracks down. And it's it it was kind of, so that was like five years ago. And it was yeah. weirdly enough to me at the time, it was like a advanced technology, even though it really isn't. It was just NFC cards, like it, it just like in your debit card that you put down and then it, it On read On a reader. It. Yep, and then it read it, and each song, each NFC code or whatever, had a loop to a popular song, and you throw them down, and you know you can play the drums, and you got the drums from, you know, uh, it's not there, but like uh, I'm trying to think of Billy Jean, you could have a drums yeah. from Billy Jean, uh, you could throw down the vocals from, uh, you know, Brick House, and you know just, the piano from, you know, what. Like, so you think I'm sexy or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you just throw down. So you think I'm sexy. (laughs) 
Were you trying to say I'm sexy and I know it? Okay, just shush. It's late at I, night. No, I'm just asking. Was that what you were trying to say? Yes. Okay. That's okay. That's what I thought. But you That's know, a good song. We should probably rate that one. I think I'm sexy. <laughs> How'd that go? I don't know. But you put down the different components of the track and you try and make something that is appealing to the ears it doesn't always work when you're no. playing verses um yeah no it does not work it makes your ears bleed and then you try and fix it trying to get rid of that one track that's screwing it all up you just slam down that drop mix button just to get rid of some stuff yeah you've done that childish gambino childish gambino just to fix everything even if it's not your turn you're just throwing a card down on yeah. just to make sure that anyways, yeah that's that's how that works out <laughs> but it's a ton of fun. We have lots of fun with it. Yes, we do. <laughs> and it's uh, really easy to teach people and it's really easy to pull out and play. Um, if you ever manage to get your hands on it or get to experience it, totally give it a go. Yeah, or like see it in like a board game shop or cafe or something like that. Or you see that your friend has it and you've never played it. Give it a go. It's so much fun. They will thank you. And uh, that is what we've been playing this week. Yeah, and until next week, you can find us um, on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Underscore Lonely Table, um, which will link to our YouTube channel if you want to check out longer length videos on what we have been playing each week. Yeah, we work on it. And until next time. Keep it your, oh my God, keep it on the rails. I. <laughs> until next time, keep it on the rails and the dice on the table. Take it easy, everybody. A. What's up, Internet? My name is Paparazzo David Chapman. I'm the lead reviewer for the Rathole.ca, a co-host on The Legend of the Traveling Tortoise, and I'm super excited to be back on What You Been Playing Wednesday. So let's start off by saying... Every year, starting on American Thanksgiving, or as we call it here in Canada, Thursday, we run our annual series of holiday reviews. With that happening, I've obviously been playing a ton of those games. So two very different speed games I played was Gremlins Holiday Havoc by Funko Games and Santa Cookie Elf Candy Snowman from Dolphin Hat Games. I'm admittedly not a big fan of this style of game. Uh, I was a bit disappointed with how the Gremlins theme was handled. The game is rated for younger players, but they took the artwork to a really the darker side of that uh, property. And the only real holiday theme to it was in the box art and the title. Um, obviously, the movie is 100% a Christmas movie, but the game really isn't. I did really enjoy their twist on the typical slapping mechanic of a speed game. Um you don't really get to hit other people as much. Compare that with Santa Cookie Elf Candy Snowman, which has everybody very specifically slapping the same place at the same time, with only the last player to slap really being penalized. Uh, we reviewed the Halloween edition of the original version, which is Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza, uh, and that has characters dressed in costumes. The nice thing with this one is it is completely... Uh, Christmassy. It is all original characters. They're not dressed up, and the art is absolutely adorable. Uh, it's as Christmassy as you can get. 
Now, speaking of Christmas reskins, uh, Renegade Game Studios has a holiday edition of Gudetama, the Tricky Egg Card Game. It's a terrific game. Uh, it's in the same family of Northern European trick-taking games called Cucumber. It's very simple, but the character of Gudetama is, well, strangely enthralling. Uh, it's the sort of game that you could probably get your grandma to play instead of a more traditional card game uh, without her thinking it's too weird. But the art's probably going to be a little bit weird for her. Now, I'm recording this the day after returning from PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia. Uh, Steep Games brought me out to help de demo their games, Chai and T for Two. So I played a ton of those games, but not exclusively those games. Uh, I got to sit down with Kurt from Smirk and Dagger, try out some of their upcoming games. Uh, you've got Spill, a reverse tower defense game that has players working uh, all together to work to contain an oil spill and Rescue Marine Life that's contaminated from the spill. They've got Behexed coming. Uh, it's a different sort of a deck builder where you're planning for how you want to interact with other players uh, as you all compete in a magical duel. Boop, yes, boop, is an abstract strategy of kittens and cats bouncing each other off the bed. This was honestly one of the best games of the entire weekend. I wish I could have played it more. Um, Behexed should hit Kickstarter in February. Spill and Boop are both coming to retail in the spring and or summer. Hungry for Humans uh, by Lonely Hero Games is in production now. Uh, there was a fast little dueling game called Pocket Paragons. Dragon Dice from SFR, which is like the original dice builder game. There are just so many great games at this event. Um, I couldn't possibly even name them all. One other one I do want to point out is The Candlelight Project, which was an early prototype game by Ken Franklin. And it's all about bringing peace and helping people around you to unburden themselves of their problems. There was a bunch of other games at PAX, um, but really those are the standouts. And I want to end this with the same kind of joyful feeling that The Candlelight Project left me and that he hopes to leave everybody with. It's just such a positive message. Um, you can find our YouTube channel and all of our social media at linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R.ee slash therathole.ca. Plus, you can catch up with all of our current and previous year's holiday reviews at therathole.ca slash Christmas. Thanks for listening, and until next time, good gaming and goodbye. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. And you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, and on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? It's what you've been playing Wednesdays. So what have we been playing? We're back to a familiar world for us. Lord of the Rings. Journeys in Middle-earth. We have the latest expansion, Spreading War. We had to bring it in from overseas, but we couldn't wait. Luckily, it wasn't that much more expensive than picking it up in Canada. So we now get to play it through the holidays and talk to you about it. We're about 50% of the way through the campaign. It is published by Fantasy Flight Games, designed by Grace Holdinghouse and Philip D. Henry. So I'll let Julie take it away and tell you her thoughts on this expansion. 
Well, it's more of what we love about Lord of the Rings, as far as I'm concerned. So it's, uh, you know, now we're with the story. The campaign is is with the humans and Gondor and Rohan. Uh, so that's lots of fun. I kind of feel like I wish I had, you know, Aragorn to play with this, but we're playing with the characters from the box. So uh, they've been pretty fun. I've been playing a dwarf that's not the usual tank uh, dwarf. He's a lore keeper. It's pretty well balanced. And, yeah, Dwalin, the lore keeper. And he gives us extra, well, now that I've, uh, you know, ranked up like that, I now I get us lore, two extra lore every time we finish a campaign. So that's been adding up quickly, too. Yeah, we're we're quite well equipped for being about fifty percent of the way through the campaign, from what I can tell. We're at level three with most of our items so far. Yeah, and then I'm also playing the sheet shield maiden, and I thought she'd be more tanky, more about combat. Um, she hasn't really been; she's been more about aid and 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 coming to the defense of of other of you know the others in the in the campaign and being there to help them uh, do things. But she, I mean, she's strong, but she's just not as strong as other characters that uh, I've played before but I'm enjoying the story I like the fact also that this one is um, not as combat it's a little bit more on the adventure uh, and that's been fun no, I have to agree I, I really like the adventure side aspect of the game and I think the characters were designed with that in mind uh, unfortunately they're not as powerful as some of the previous uh, characters in the game uh, Arwen is still one of my favorites Gandalf is really powerful Barovor is very strong as well and I don't know if I would use many of these characters over the others. So I know we're going to play with them for this campaign. They'll probably work fairly well with the uh, forthcoming uh, Small Box expansion. I believe it's already been uh, announced that it's coming. Not sure what it's going to be about. But I really don't know how well they would fare necessarily in, uh, say, Shadow Pass, where you have to do a lot of damage and where healing is very important because we don't have any healers. Yeah. And I... We're doing okay, but I thought we'd have a lot more trouble. I am really enjoying uh, Renarian, the uh, elf trickster. Her character is very strong using the short bow. Her skills that she gets are very good at aiding people, but also doing a lot of damage. She can sprint. She seems very well balanced. I'm also playing Bjorn, who's a, a Bjorning. He can turn into the Great Bear. And while I do think that he would do very well also in uh, Shadow Pass, I'm not as big a fan of the Great Bear as I thought I would be. His potential to do a lot of damage to single targets is great. So all those bosses that we pre faced in previous campaigns would definitely suffer <laughs> an attack from the Great Bear with the potential to do like 14 damage in one round. That can be uh, very, very good. But overall, I have to say... He's good, but just not my favorite. There's other characters that I prefer more. Sorry about the beep in the background. Apparently my computer or someone's computer is trying to tell us something. Uh, so, I mean, besides that, I would say, uh, I mean, we have the Oliphant in this that we faced on fairly quick, uh, fairly early on. That was pretty cool. Uh, and then we have the fortified uh, zones that are Yeah, we've got the new fortified locations with chains and rules as who can move in and out of the zone, which I really like. Makes things more strategic and goes along with the war. Uh, we've yet to face off against the fell beasts or see the... Uh, the siege towers so looking forward to see what those have to offer and the big new thing has been mounts and i have not been using my mounts as well as i should have uh bjorn has got the war charger which is really good it lets you stun people i've been absolutely failing at using my pack mule which lets me whenever i would discard a skill card put it potentially at the top of my deck and have extra skills it's really cool for the extra skill part i've done that but i've really 
forget to put the card at the top of my deck. Because I can really prep cards, discard them, and then use them on tests if I'm using it properly. Take a card, sprint. It's really cool what you can do, but you just got to remember to use those abilities. Yeah, mine allows me to interact with... Uh with tokens uh, a space away and uh, uh, and people that are two um, two spaces away are nearby uh, so that that's pretty cool um, I haven't really I've been forgetting to use my other one where when I test spirit I can gain an inspiration so basically you know increasing spirit uh, I should be doing it more often uh, I keep forgetting to do it yeah it's just one of those new elements for the to the game and we've you know, we're playing the game on normal difficulty, not on uh, adventure mode or hard difficulty, so it's working out well for us. Uh, we're only playing four of the six characters. We did not play the character that seemed more like the healer uh, Kalaman took. I just wasn't all that interested in playing a hobby, neither was Julie. And then we've got Boromir, whose special ability is just uh, an extra last stand. Like something, I forget exactly, but you have better chances of surviving the last stands, and Julian, I hate when we get there. So neither of us picked Boromir as a character as well. I really feel like the special abilities are definitely a tier lower than what we've experienced previously uh, in the game. Bearvoir sprinting and things like that are just way more powerful. So if you want to hear more on our full length review, you can catch it tomorrow on YouTube. And other than that, Jason, what are we going to say? I'm going to remind you all to. Keep, Keep playing, playing games. games. Hey everybody, my name is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I am back with Cardboard Conjecture to talk about what you've been playing Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter as SpiderMo, that's Spider with a Y if you like what you hear and want to give me a follow for some board game thoughts, my ongoing challenges as a designer, and a little bit of me complaining about random things. This week for what you've been playing, I got to play a couple games of my favorite deck builder, Marvel Legendary. Now, for those of you not familiar with Legendary, it was released back in 2012 by Upper Deck Entertainment. Nowadays, there are a ton of superhero-themed games, but back when Legendary was released, there was really only Marvel Heroes by Fantasy Flight Games, which desperately needs a new edition with some streamlined rules, and a little-known game at the time, Sentinels of the Multiverse. There really were not that many superhero games out at the time, and Legendary definitely set the bar high for those that followed in the years after it was released. Now, the basic premise of Legendary is that players are each using the heroes at their disposal to attempt to thwart the plans of a mastermind and the villains that they assemble to complete their scheme. It's a cooperative game, probably the only cooperative game that I actually enjoy, as players are working together but each one is trying to build the best combination of heroes and abilities that they can. It's infinitely replayable with a multitude of expansions that have been released over the years. I have about half of the sets that have been released, and that provides me with over 160 heroes that I can use in any game. Now, since you only use five unique heroes in a game, I could play 32 times in a row and never use the same hero twice. Add to that the fact that each mastermind, scheme, and group of villains or henchmen that you use will change each time, and I can't imagine ever playing the same game twice. 
At the beginning of the game, players will start with a very limited deck of shield agents that provide basic attack and recruit values, but they allow you to purchase cards from the Hero HQ that you'll use to combo together to defeat the various villains that appear in the city, while at the same time trying to watch out for the mastermind that will lash out at various times during the game. There's also a unique scheme that they are attempting to accomplish, which completely changes the feel of the game. Now, you could be trying to stop MODOK from building a massive earthquake generator, or preventing Magneto from bathing the Earth in cosmic waves, and those will be two completely different games. There's also very bizarre combinations as well, like Macho Gomez trying to become the God Emperor of Battleworld, with the help of the Great Lakes Avengers and the Universal Church of Truth. Now don't worry if you didn't understand anything that I just said there, as I didn't either, but it does give you an idea of the breadth of options that are available in this game. Each hero has four different cards in their personal deck, and you shuffle all the heroes being used into a single deck that players can recruit from during the game. Having only four different cards for each hero seems limited, but they each come in different rarities, and the amount of options that players can build in each game is absolutely amazing. Cards will often combo off of each other, so players who specialize in two or three heroes will find themselves uh, able to build some great combos, so it's crucial to find cards that work well with each other. Some heroes work better with one another, such as Captain America, who combos with any other Avenger, or teaming up Iceman and Beast, which can be extremely powerful. But sometimes, it's the weird combinations that turn out to be amazing. Moon Knight and Ghost Rider can really turn the battle quickly to your side, or building a deck with Silver Surfer, Rocket Raccoon, and Ultron can be lots of fun. And yes, you can use several traditional villains as heroes in this game, because as we've all learned from comic books, the bad guys will sometimes team up with the heroes when it suits their needs. Now, there's about 50 unique keywords that have been released in the various sets over the years, but since you're only using a few of them in any given game, it's not too bad to keep track of, so long as you have a basic understanding of the game principles going in. With such a huge variety of keywords, each hero actually does feel like their comic book counterpart. Nightcrawler can teleport his cards into your next hand. Carnage feasts off of your cards, making your deck weaker. And Hulk, well, he likes to smash things, getting stronger when he does so. All of this makes Legendary Marvel the ultimate superhero game, as far as I'm concerned. Games play really quickly, wrapping up within an hour more times than not, as there are two built-in timers in terms of the villain deck running out, or a mastermind completing their objective if players don't stop them soon enough. Now, there are so many sets that have been released over the years that, I, that pretty much any substantial character from the comics has been released at this point. Now, sure, I'm still waiting for an Alpha Flight expansion to be released, but fringe characters like Wonder Man, Dazzler, and Korg are all in various sets, which is good enough for me. If you ever get the chance to play Marvel Legendary, I definitely think it's worth a shot. If you're a big Marvel fan... I honestly think that you'll really enjoy the fast-paced nature of the game, and you can finally see for yourself if Shang-Chi, Captain Britain, and Cloak and Dagger could stand up to the might of Apocalypse and the Sinister Six. There's also been a few spin-offs made in the Legendary family, with games from films like Alien, James Bond, and Big Trouble in Little China. 
All of those have been released since this came out, but Marvel seems to be the license that has had the longest run. I haven't played any of the other versions, but I've heard that the Alien one is great for fans of that franchise, and it includes several unique scenarios being able to be played out from all the different films. So once again, I'm Chris Morris. Thank you for listening to my thoughts about Legendary Marvel. If you liked what you heard from me and want to see or hear more, I can be found on Twitter as SpiderMo. Thanks for listening, and may all your dice rolls be critical successes. Hey there, this is Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And what you've been playing Wednesday, Norm? Well, um, I was able to get in a game of Cascadia, designed by Randy Flynn and published by Flatout Games. And uh, I'm, this is one of my favorite go-tos now. Um, uh, it's basically uh, in that series of Calico uh, and then uh, Cascadia and then coming out soon, Verdant or Verdant. Um, and uh, yeah, Cascadia is abstract puzzle game with the theme of the Pacific Northwest. And uh, the tiles represent your uh, environments, mountains, lakes, rivers, that kind of thing. And, um, but this time, you put on uh, discs that represent the animals. And you have to, depending on the, the animal cards you pull out, you have to create patterns to gain points. And these patterns have a, a synergy to them in relationship to the other animals. And um, yeah, the, um, this game, I, of course, uh, I played the solo, uh, two-player, and three-player. And it scales absolutely well. It is such a fun challenge. Um, there's very low cognitive load to this game, uh, meaning that it doesn't take a whole lot of, uh, of uh, teach to get this in your brain. And, the, and, and basically, it comes down to um, your, the, your best options with the, with the resources and the, the tools at your disposal. So um, yeah, yeah, I really like Cascadia. And Calico, too. Calico is another great game uh, by the same uh, um, uh, publishing company. And uh, it takes that idea of just the pattern building. And you're making a quilt. So um, I have both of them. They're both great games. But if you're going to pick, just understand that one has a little you know, variability difference than the other. Um, they're both great games. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I've been playing Wednesday. And uh, so we're getting to that point where I always love to say thank you very much for listening to what we have to say about the games we've been playing. And thank you so much to the content creators that collaborate every week to put this episode together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that being said, take care of yourself and keep your stick on the ice, eh?